fit specifically with our, with our graduates uh, at the beginning uh, of this message, but it's really something for everybody this morning. Now, uh, at, the beginning, at the beginning of the school year, I started a countdown for our graduates. And it wasn't, it wasn't a clock, uh, it, it wasn't your normal countdown, but what it simply was, was a jar of marbles, right? This isn't your standard countdown clock, but what this jar of marbles was, uh, each marble in this jar represented one week of their life. And this jar was counting down, there was 52 marbles in this jar, and it was counting down to the day that they headed off to college, uh, to a job, to, to whatever their next step in life was. And it started out with 52. Now today... They're down to, to 13. It's a little bit of a difference. Daniel, you're, you're down to two marbles. I'm sorry. Uh, before you go on to that next phase of life. Uh, but this is, this is when, when this jar of marbles empties. It's when they head out. They, they discover uh, new adventures. They discover the adventure that God has for them. So why did we do this countdown? Now, we didn't do it to stress them out and be like, oh no, I've only got 52 marbles left, or I only have 13 marbles left. We didn't do it to get them excited for like, yes, I finally get to leave my parents' house. Uh, that wasn't it either. Uh, but this jar of marbles was to help them make the most of the time that they had left in this phase of their life. See, anytime you add a countdown timer to something, it changes your behavior. Uh, it, it helps you put more energy, more passion, and more focus on what matters most. Uh, Think about the game. Has anybody ever played the game Catchphrase in here? Right? You got that, that little thing, and uh, it gives you a word. You got to get your teammates to guess it. But at the same time, there's a little timer going, right? And you hear that beep, beep, beep. And, and at the beginning, it's fine. You know, you, you kind of slowly just give them the clues. You, you try to get through. You know, you got a lot of time. You know, the word pops up, popsicle. And you're like, ah, you know, it's that thing in... Uh, uh, in summer, and you want to uh, cool down, so you eat this. You know, oh, popsicle, perfect. You pass it to the next person, but then that timer gets a little faster. You know, it's beep, 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 and, and the next person gets it. You pass it. All of a sudden, that timer's going beep, 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 and, and the only thing you can focus on in that moment is that word in front of you. Now, the words may not come to your mouth, uh, but you're not worried if supper's burning. You're not worried if the baby's crying. You're not worried if your house is on fire. All you're worried about is you've got to get this thing out of your hands. You've got to get them to guess the right answer, right? A countdown clock, it changes our behavior. It helps us add more passion, more energy, more focus to what's in front of us. And uh, 52 weeks ago, or at the beginning of August of the school year, I shared this verse with our graduates. Uh, Jesus starts a timer in Mark 1.15. You don't need to turn there. It'll be on the screen. He says this, The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. He says the time has come. He says it's time. The time is now. He starts that timer. And he says what you need to do is repent and believe the good news. You need to make sure that your relationship with me is right. You need to say, you know what? God, I've messed up. But, but God, I want to follow you now. But, you know, Jesus didn't only tell us to do what he said, but he also tells us to, to do what he did. So he's saying, too, that we need to go share the good news with everyone else. Tell them, hey, you need to repent and believe the good news. The time is now. So he's saying, this is the most important thing, to know me, to, to make me known to other people. Or we have an easy way we say it around here at AFA, to love God, love people, and share Christ. That's the main point. That's, that's what's most important. You see, this, this jar of marbles is to help our graduates uh, make the most important thing the most important thing, to focus on what matters most, to love God, love people, and share Christ. And so graduates, this morning I challenge you that 
in the 13 marbles and the two marbles you have left to get as close to God as you possibly can. To get as close to God, to get into God's word. Because, you know, when you, when you head off, when you leave your parents' house, uh, everything's going to be different. Everything's going to change. Uh, you'll, you'll have new friends. Uh, you'll have a new church. Uh, you, you won't have your parents around anymore. You'll be able to call them, but, but that's about it. But the one thing that doesn't have to change is your relationship with Christ. He's with you wherever you go. And, and so take the time now to get to know him, to spend time uh, loving God so that when you go, uh, that can be your constant. When everything else changes, God is still there for you. Uh, you can still have that, that solid relationship with him. So take that time uh, to focus on him. Uh, the second thing uh, in there, too, is, is to spend time loving people and sharing Christ. You know, today might be the last day that you see some of your friends uh, as you walk that line. And, and I challenge you, make those conversations count. Make those conversations count. Uh, tell them about Jesus. Don't be shy. And spend time uh, with your parents over these next few weeks because you're going to miss them. Uh, you may feel like, oh, man, my parents, but you're going to miss them. Spend time with them. Spend time with the friends that you have now and, and, and be willing to have open conversations about your faith because it's so important. There's only a few marbles left in your jar. But here's the thing. When your jar is empty, uh, it doesn't mean that life ends. It just means that a new jar of marbles begins, one with new challenges, with new opportunities, with new friendships, uh, with new people to reach. Uh, and, and so we, we all have new jars of marble. So I challenge you that once this new jar of marble starts, it's still so important to keep the main thing the main thing, to love God, love people, and share Christ. But really, we all have jars of marbles. We all do. Uh, but no one knows for sure how many marbles are left in your jar. For some of you, it may be thousands of marbles that are left in your jar. For some of you, maybe just a few. Before... You know, we, we pass on or before we, we enter a new jar of marbles in a new phase of life. That's why it's so important to live each week as though it's the last marble in your jar. Now, I'm not saying go out and do something crazy, right? I'm not saying uh, to go out and pick up bungee jumping or skydiving or, you know, crossing things off your bucket list. But what I am saying is that we need to live spiritually risky lives, one where we push the boundaries of our faith. So don't do something crazy, uh, but, but live spiritually crazy for Jesus. That's what we need to do uh, to, to live like each week is the last marble in our jar. See, taking spiritual risks look like this. When you tell someone about Jesus, but you're not sure how they're going to respond. That's a spiritual risk. Uh, when, uh, when God tells you a number to give, and you say, you know what, it doesn't really match up in my budget, that's taking a spiritual risk. When you take the time to volunteer and you're just like, there's just not really that many hours left in my schedule. But you know what? I want to pour in to the next generation. I want to help other people out. That's a spiritual risk. We need to be spiritual risk takers. When we push the boundaries of our faith and step out farther than we ever have before, that's when we realize that Jesus was there for us all along. And we had nothing to fear. I'll never forget, it was several years ago on a Wednesday night in, in One Cause and Youth. And... Uh, we, we had a little illustration. We had two long tables set up. They were set up end-to-end -end across the front of the platform, and, and uh, we were talking just about this, about trusting in Jesus. So I asked for volunteers, and uh, front row, Annika raised her hand. Uh, we just honored her here. Annika raised her hand. She came on up, and I was like, Annika, before you come on up, I got one question for you. Do you trust me? That's a scary question. 
Uh, and she said, yes, I trust you. So I said, all right, come on up. I want you to stand on this table, right on this end. And uh, what I'm going to have you do is walk to the other end of the table. Do you think you can do that? She said, yeah, I can do that. Uh, hold on, before you do that, here's a blindfold. Put it on. All right, so Annika's got a blindfold on. Uh, she's got two tables in front of her. And I said, Annika, do you trust me? She said, yeah, I trust you. All right, I need you to follow my directions. She says, okay. So I want you to start walking towards the other end of the table. So she starts walking. And I said, oh, you're doing a great job. All right, Annika, I want you to stop. She got about, about to the center. I said, Annika, I, I want you to turn and face the crowd. Okay? All right, Annika, do you trust me? Yes, I trust you. All right, I want you to take one giant step towards the crowd. There's no table in front of her, at least not to her knowledge. And uh, she said, no. I said, Annika, I thought you trusted me. She said, but there's no table here. Uh, I'm going to fall. I was like, Annika, you just, you got to trust me. Just take one, one giant step. She said, no, right? And, and, and what she didn't know is that uh, while we were blindfolding her, I had some youth leaders come out and very quietly place a table right in front of her, uh, going the other direction into the crowd. So she was perfectly safe, but she was blindfolded, and she hadn't seen that herself. Well, after much bargaining and after telling her, I promise I'll catch you if you fall, she very timidly uh, took a giant step. It kind of looked like, you know, when you're walking down the stairs and you're not sure which one's the bottom one, and you almost kind of stumble. That was the step she took, but, but it was a big one, and she finally reached out and, and said, oh, I made it. And she realized, I could have just trusted him all along. And, and it's the same way in our faith with Christ. See, we can only see so much, but God sees so much more around us. And when we take those big steps, and, and we don't know where we're going to land, that's when we realize, man, Jesus has been there all along for us. And, and it's okay to take spiritual risks, because he's there cheering us on. He, he's there waiting for us. Church, it's time to start living like we were down to one marble. It's time to start living spiritually risky lives. See, Jesus modeled this wherever he went. And if you've got your Bibles, I want you to open them up to John chapter 4. And while you're opening there, I want to give you a little background for what happens at the beginning uh, of this, this chapter in the Bible. See, Jesus and, and the disciples, they were uh, down in the southern part of Israel. They were down in Judea. And they needed to get to Galilee, which was in the northern part. Now, there's kind of two ways for them to get to Galilee. Uh, one route was to just go straight north and take the shortest route from point A to B. They'd get there in no time at all. The other route was they could go around the middle part of Israel and uh, take, the, take the long route, uh, but they'd still get there. Now you think, well, why not take the short route? Well, at that time, the Jews didn't really like the people who were living in the middle of Israel. Uh, it was Samaria. The Samaritans were there, and the Jews didn't like that. So most of the time, they opted to take the scenic route because uh, the Jews believed that they were their rivals, their enemies. They served other gods, and in their eyes, Samaritans were, were less than human. But like I said, Jesus was a spiritual risk taker, and he said, guys, let's take the short route today. Let's go through Samaria because he knew that he had an appointment with a Samaritan woman later that day. The disciples didn't know that. The Samaritan woman didn't know that, but, but Jesus, he knew that he had an appointment. And partway through their journey, uh, they stopped and the disciples said, hey, we're hungry. We're going to go check out the food situation in the local Samaritan village. Jesus is like, well, I'm thirsty. I'll go check out this well over here. And it was at that well that he met a Samaritan woman, the one he had an appointment with. See, she was the only woman at the well because she wasn't accepted by her peers, most women, they would go together in the morning, uh, but she was someone who had labels attached to her, someone who would rather just avoid other people. So she went in the middle of the day. 
So not only did Jesus have a meeting with a Samaritan woman, but he had a, a meeting with one of the least respected of the Samaritans. See, Jesus was a spiritual risk taker. He seemed to pick out that one person who was the farthest gone, who was the longest shot, and he would reach out to them. Jesus began to tell her that, you know what, it doesn't matter uh, what nationality you are. It doesn't matter what religion you grew up in. It doesn't matter what your history was. It didn't matter where you worship God, but what did matter, Jesus said this. He says, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the, worship, the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. See, he said, I know your past, but I'm excited about what your future can be. Today is the day. It's time. See, God doesn't look at your mistakes, church. He doesn't look at your failures. But he, what he is looking for is someone with a truly repentant heart, someone who will be real with him. As his word says, God is spirit, uh, and he's looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Someone who will say, you know what, I know I've messed up. But God, I want to be real with you today. God, I want to make it right. God, would you lead me? See, we've got to stop worrying about all this other stuff, all of our history, and we've got to stop, start worrying about the most important thing. The most important thing, to love God, love people, and share Christ. Going on, the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. See, Jesus was saying, I'm the one to bridge the gap. I'm the one to, to take you from your past and bring you into your future. I'm the one who can change you from a wicked sinner to a forgiven daughter of the king. Now, meanwhile, while this whole thing happened, while this woman's life is completely changed, all of a sudden the disciples come back uh, uh, after getting their happy meals from the local Samaritan village. You know, and they, they come back and they're completely oblivious to this whole thing. And that's where I want to pick up this story, uh, starting with verse 27. So in John 4, 27, it says this. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking to a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Now meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reap is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. See, to the disciples, this was just another ordinary day. They thought, we're going from Judea, we're going up to Galilee, that's our goal. Uh, they weren't concerned about the journey so much as they were about the destination. See, they were working the plan. But Jesus, he wasn't as concerned uh, about the destination as the disciples were. I've always heard there's two kinds of shoppers. Uh, there's hunters and there's gatherers, right? The hunter goes shopping with a, I need to get XYZ. They go in, they find XYZ, they get out of there in 15 minutes, and it's a good day of shopping, right? Then there's the gatherer. They go in with not much of a plan, and they look over here, and they look over here, and they look over here, and eventually three hours later they leave and said, today was a successful day, right? And the disciples, they were the hunters. They thought, I've got my to-do list. I, I need to do this. We need to get 
to Galilee, and, and we need to accomplish these tasks so we can get to the end of the day. But here's the thing. Jesus wasn't so concerned about the to-do list. He was concerned about the journey. See, he was all about taking advantage of the interruptions in life and realizing that ministry was the person that was right in front of them the whole time. See, it's easy to find ourselves in the shoes of the disciples. We have our to-do list. We need to accomplish these tasks so we can get to the end of our day. And it's so easy to pass by the people that God has put right in front of us. Because to us, they look like interruptions. They look like speed bumps that, that keep us from, from getting to our goal. They slow us down to accomplishing the goal. But again, what is the goal, church? Is it to finish our to-do list? Or is it to love God, love people, and to share Christ? See, that's what, that's what this timer again is all about. It's all about helping us keep the main thing, the main thing. And we don't know how many, or how many marbles are left in our jar. So we got to start taking spiritual risks. See, when the disciples got back from lunch, uh, he, he said to, they said to Jesus, Hey, Jesus, why don't you eat something? You know, you need some food. And he said, No, I've got, I already ate. I got food that you know nothing about. And the disciples were probably thinking like, Wait a minute. Did we miss that whole thing where he multiplied bread and fish again? Like, because we really like that one. Uh, I, but Jesus, he didn't do that. No, he said, I got food to eat that you know nothing about. See, Jesus wasn't hungry because he just finished doing what he came here to do. In Luke 19.10, it says that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And Jesus had just finished uh, reaching out to one of the most lost people that he could find. And she accepted him. She believed in him. See, Jesus needed, didn't need food because he was so excited. Because he was doing what he came here to do, to save the lost. It's kind of like going to an amusement park and you're riding roller coasters all day. I mean, the adrenaline is flowing. You are excited. You get to lunchtime. It's just like, man, I, I can't even eat right now. My stomach is like this. Then you try to eat anyways, and then the rest of the roller coasters are really rough. Uh, you know, so Jesus is like, no, I, I don't need to eat because, man, I'm so excited. I, I'm, I'm going on so much adrenaline because, man, I'm doing what God called me to do. I'm reaching out to the lost. But what's interesting is that what Jesus, uh, what gave Jesus such great excitement, what got his adrenaline going, was something the disciples thought was awkward, inconvenient, and unnecessary. See, it's said in here that they thought, you know, why is Jesus talking with this woman? She's, she's an outcast. She's a Samaritan. She's a sinner. She's a she. And you're a rabbi, Jesus. What are you doing talking with her? Yet they didn't have the guts to say it out loud. Right? They just thought it in their heads. And really, church, we see Samaritan women every day. Not actual Samaritan women. But, but we see people that we don't identify with. We see people we don't understand, that we don't trust. We don't approve of their lifestyle. They, they serve a different God or they serve no God at all. People who have so many labels attached to them that, that we don't even know who they really are and they don't even know who they really are. See, many times, like the disciples, we find it easy just to, to pass them by, to write them off. We may never say it out loud, but we think it like the disciples. Man, that would be awkward if I reached out to that person. It's unnecessary to go out of my way to, to help that stranger. But here's Jesus' response to the disciples' thoughts. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. See, again, the most important thing for, for Jesus was to save people, to give them a hope, to, to bring them back to God the Father. That was the harvest he was talking about. 
And he was saying, stop sitting back. Stop waiting for that perfect moment. Stop making excuses. It's time now. The fields are ripe. Get active. Start taking spiritual risks. See, we are so good at making excuses. We're so good at saying, you know what? It's not the time right now. Uh, It's not the perfect moment. Uh, That person probably wouldn't accept what I have to say. Uh, Right now is not the best moment. Or I want to build a better relationship with that person before I scare them off or, or something like that. Or I see them every day. I have plenty of time. But again, we don't know how many marbles are left in our jar. See, the message wasn't just for the disciples, but it's for us today to look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. There's a harvest that we need to take care of. Uh, Guys, it's time to share Christ. It's time to make the most important thing the most important thing. It's time to put the most passion, our most energy, our most focus into what matters most on loving God, loving people, and, and sharing Christ. It's time to live spiritually risky lives. That's what it's all about. See, sometimes I think we can view um, sharing Christ or sharing our faith, and and not necessarily just like giving our testimony, uh, but just having spiritual, real conversations with people. We can view that as a win or lose situation. And so it scares us that we might lose. Uh, We look at it like, man, I shared my faith, and they completely blew me off and went the other direction. I lost. Or I shared my faith, and they didn't accept Jesus. I lost. Or I shared my faith, and hey, they showed up to church. That's a win. But, but really, Jesus didn't view sharing our faith in terms of winning or losing. He viewed it in terms of sowing and reaping. See, we don't win or lose when we share our faith. It, it's really a win-win situation because we're either planting God's word, we're either sowing, or, or we're reaping a harvest. Verses 37 and 38 says, Thus the saying, one sows and another reap is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. See, we're either planting or we're harvesting, and both of those are wins. Obviously, harvesting, obviously seeing people come to Jesus, that's a win. That's obvious. But planting, that's a win too, even if it's not so obvious. On September 6, 1622, uh, a fleet of Spanish ships left Havana, Cuba, heading for Spain, loaded with gold and silver and treasure. And uh, at the very, the very last ship in the fleet was called the Atosha. And the Atosha was loaded with the most silver, the most treasure, uh, probably 10 times more than any other ship. Well, shortly after they got out of Cuba, a hurricane came. And the admiral of the fleet said, all right, everyone, let's head west. I think if we go west towards Florida, we'll avoid this thing. And uh, some of the ships, they disobeyed. They thought, no, east is better. And, And so part of the ships went east, part of the ships went west. Everybody who disobeyed the captain survived. But everyone who followed the admiral, went right into the storm, and all the ships sank, including the Atosha. Fast forward 365 years, and a a treasure hunter was looking for the Atosha because there was a lot of gold in here. And and eventually, after uh, looking over all these Spanish documents and and, and searching the ocean floor, they found the Atosha. And and as they were pulling out all the treasures and stuff, an archaeologist was looking at it too, and they found in the ballast of the ship sand, and in the sand... uh, were seeds, 365-year-old seeds. And, and so he pulled them out, he put them in, in jars of water, and, and nine days later he came back and four of the seeds had sprouted, 365 years old. See, we never know, uh, we never know those seeds that we plant that we think, ah, they'll never survive. We never know when they're going to take root. We never know that maybe a year down the road or 10 years or 50 years down the road, something that we shared with somebody might pop back into their memory and they may accept 
Christ that day. So again, harvesting is a win. Planting a seed is a win because you never know when it might sprout. And also there's a third win in this. See, it's not just a a win-win. It's a win-win-win situation. See, when you share your faith, you grow in your faith. Uh, You grow the most when you put your faith into action. Now that you took that big step just like Annika did and you shared your faith, you realized Jesus was there for you all along. Well, well now you trust Jesus even more. Now you, you love God even more. Now you're more willing uh, to share Christ again. Now, now you're more willing to love people. It's a win-win-win situation. Church, you will never regret sharing your faith with someone. But you will regret the times you remain silent. There was once a time in my life when everything seemed okay. I thought I did everything right. Things were going my way. You are my sister. My student. My friend. I worked with you all the time. You were nice whenever I saw you. See, my life was fine. I couldn't have asked for a better sister. You are strong and I was the weakest. You protected me, but of course, something stayed a secret. You were a good student, quiet, and respected what I taught. We shared the same opinions, or at least that's what I thought. You sat with me in class, and we always seemed to agree. You said it was okay to believe what I believe. There was that one day at work when you took the time to listen to the news that I was pregnant. You supported my decision. Remember when we were little and we played tag all the time? I was your best friend, and you were mine. Mine. And things, they were fine, weren't they? As far as I can see. I have just one question. Why didn't you witness to me? What? Why didn't you witness to me? Yeah, why didn't you care? If the truth you had could save us, then why wouldn't you share? I don't know what to say. Clearly. I've just known you for so long, I didn't think you'd want to listen. Well, guess what? You were wrong. You knew the truth. You didn't tell us. Go and make disciples, huh? How could you do this? You were a Christian? What have I done? I thought you were a Christian. Sometimes you go into church, but you never tried to bring me. It's not like that would have hurt. I couldn't stand the thought of church. I thought Christian arguments were weak. I didn't know that that was true. That's something textbooks don't teach. So your gospel, it was true? Jesus really was the savior? I thought Muhammad was a great prophet. Is Jesus greater? Well, yes, Jesus is the Lord. You didn't pray the sinner's prayer? No, I was a Muslim, and you didn't share. You're telling me you were a Christian? Yes. So you were just having fun when you said it was okay to abort my son? Wait, don't blame this one on me. I'm not the problem here. Then explain how all this happened. I think it's very clear. You were supposed to tell us. It's not hard at all. I figured that someone else might do it. That person was supposed to be you. People like you are the reason I left. Those who serve God only in speech. Christians should witness. Even I know that. Why don't you practice what you preach? I thought Christians didn't believe in murder. They don't. Then why would you agree? You're supposed to have this life in you, yet you let me kill the one in me. I was your best friend. You still have nothing to say? I'm sorry. It wasn't that easy. Why? Because I was gay? 
Don't get me wrong. I know I could have changed this, but I didn't want to accept the truth. I didn't want to have to dedicate my life. I just wanted to be like all of you. Is that why I became a Christian? So you went to hell? Well, your little skies didn't work. The truth is a much story to tell. Why, why didn't you witness to me? Why didn't you care? If the truth you had could save us, then why wouldn't you share? I didn't know it end like this! Absolutely you did! I'm sorry! That's it, cut it! You could have changed the way we lived! I'm sorry! I wish I could go back and do this over somehow! I should have shared the truth! Yeah, you should have. But we're all in hell now! There was once a time in my life when Everything seemed okay, but I didn't accept the truth. That's why I'm in hell today. My life was fake. I didn't witness or live it out. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You will never regret sharing your faith with someone, but you will regret the times you remain silent. See, we need to live uh, each day as though it's the last marble in our jar. Because, guys, there's a lot on the line. Jesus knew what was at stake. That's why he was so passionate about saving the lost, about reaching out to them. See, it took the disciples a while to catch on, but, but eventually they did. And they told everyone the good news about Jesus Christ, even if it cost them their lives. See, I've found that, that I can assume a lot of, about people. It's easy to judge a book by its cover, but usually I end up being wrong. See, the disciples looked at this woman at the well as someone who was toxic, someone who was unsavable, someone that, that Jesus didn't come for. But yet she came to salvation that day. We might look at a field and think, there's no harvest here, but Jesus says, open your eyes, look again. The fields are ripe for harvest. Even if nothing happens, we planted a seed. But this morning, rather than focusing on the negative consequences of not sharing, I want you to, to think about the eternal impact we can have by sharing to just one person, by taking just one spiritual risk. See, here's the rest of the story. In verse 39, it says this. It says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of, this, because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. See, this woman... This, this one person that Jesus reached out to, this spiritual risk he took. Man, she accepted him, and she went back to the town. She had no reputation. She, she began spread, spreading the news to everybody. Say, hey, I think I found the Christ. I think I found our Savior. Come on out and, and check it out. Now, some people, they believed right away. But some people were like, I still have more questions. Let me, let me come to your church, so to speak. Let me, let me look at more who this Jesus guy is. And so they came out, and Jesus and, and the disciples who were supposed to be in Galilee, who were supposed to be on that journey, they stayed two more days, sharing the good news, reaching more lost people, and it said even many more came to Christ because of the words that he shared. 
Jesus reached out to one person. Because of that, the majority of a town came to know Christ. The majority of a town went from death to life. They went from an eternity in hell to an eternity in heaven. See, Jesus took spiritual risks. Imagine this morning if you took a spiritual risk. Imagine the ripple effect you could have when, when you take the time to tell someone about Jesus. Someone that you think, ah, they, they don't really have a chance or, man, this is unnecessary. Maybe those are the people that, that God wants us to reach out to the most. See, we have the greatest gift ever, and it's time to get the word out. It's, it's time. The harvest is ripe. And we don't know how many marbles are left in our jar. Worship team, I want you to come back up. Church, it's time to make the most important thing the most important thing. To love God, to love people, and to share Christ. That's what it's all about. It's all about taking those spiritual risks. Now, what does that look like? I shared a few examples of that in sharing your faith, uh, in, in maybe uh, listening to God in, in giving or, or volunteering, whatever it may be. Now, you know, there's one, one marble per week. So my challenge to you isn't to go out and take as many spiritual risks as you can week one. What my challenge is for you to do is this, to take one spiritual risk every week. Start there. Every, every marble that's in your jar, take one spiritual risk every week. Maybe that's sharing your faith. Maybe that's, uh, you know, volunteering, whatever it might be. You'll, you'll know it's a spiritual risk because you won't want to do it. That's when you know when the Holy Spirit talks to you and, and, and you're wondering, well, is that God or is that me? Well, if it's something that, that you wouldn't want to do, it's probably not you, right? It's probably the Holy Spirit speaking to you. So I challenge you, when you hear that voice inside of you this week, do it. Step out. Jesus is going to be there. That, that he, he's going he's gonna to be there for you. And it's going to help us love God, love people, and share Christ even more. Now, this morning, I'm going to leave a couple jars of marbles up here. And, and I don't know, maybe some of you guys want to just take a marble to remind you that I need to take a spiritual risk. To remind you that this might be the last marble in my jar. And I need to make the most of it. So let it just serve as a reminder. They'll be up here. You can feel free to take them. But, but this morning, I want us just to spend some time going after God. So would you stand with me right now? This morning, if you're just like, ah, I, I haven't been making the main thing the main thing. God, I need to get my priorities back in the line. But I want you just to come to this altar. Grab, grab a marble and say, you know what, God, it, it's time. The time is now. I, I need to love you with everything I have. I need to love the people around me and not just pass it by. And I need to, to share you. I need to spread the good news because, man, imagine the, the ripple effect it could have. Staying silent isn't an option, church. We've got to get this word out. So I'm going to pray. The worship team's going to play. And let's go after God together. Let's make the, the main thing the main thing. Let's make the most important thing the most important thing. Jesus, God, you've given us a great challenge to reach this world for you, to put you first, to love the people around us. So God, I, I pray that we would we wouldn't play games anymore, but God, that we would realize what's at stake. God, that heaven and hell are in the balance, not just for us, but God, for the people around us. 
God, may we see people the way you see them. God, you came to seek and to save what was lost. God, may we make that our mission statement. God, may our heart beat for what your heart beats for. So Jesus, as we go after you this morning, God, would you change us in your midst? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's see God together, church.
I pray that, that when we go from this place, God, that we wouldn't put ourselves first, we wouldn't put anyone else first, but God, we would put you first. God, you're what it's all about. To love you, to love people, to share Christ. God, may, may you make us spiritual risk takers. And God, when we take those spiritual risks, I believe we can change the world together. For you, God, we can see more people come into your kingdom. So God, would, would you help us become spiritual risk takers in this building this morning? God, and when we leave, may we listen to that voice of the Holy Spirit inside of us. God, to have courage and to take a step of faith. Because God, we know you'll be there for us. So God, I pray that you would go with us this morning as we head out of this place. God, I pray that you would continue to bless our graduates. God, as life is about to get really interesting, God, the adventure is just beginning for them. But Lord, we know you have great plans. Lord, would you bless our graduates? Jesus, would you go with us as we leave this place? God, may we honor you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, church. Again, uh, these altars are open. There's marbles up here if you need to grab one. But be blessed today.